All right, guys. It's good to see you. How we doing? Am I on? Am I that good? We good? All right. Here we go. Man, welcome back, guys. We're glad to have you. Um, like Trayvon said, this is your first time. At welcome. Um, this is for you. Um, we started like almost 10 years ago now, and uh, from the, the day we started, we wanted to create a place um, where young adults can come together, grow in their faith, connect because of their faith, and then go impact our city for God's kingdom. Um, and so the, our heart is that this wouldn't just be a crossings thing, but it would be a kingdom of God thing. And so you are welcome to be here. Whether you go to crossings or not, we, we, we celebrate you as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so uh, just love that everybody's here tonight and we're back. Um, so I'm going to kick off this new series with a time and a date. It was four days ago at 9.47 p.m. I heard the loudest boom at my house that I have ever heard in my life. Now, if you're new, I've got lots of kids, so our house is loud. There's lots of booming, lots of walls being hit and, and running. This was different. I thought there was an explosion. I looked out my bedroom window. I was like, what was that? And then almost immediately, my whole house started shaking. You guys know what I'm talking about? How many of y'all felt it? The earthquake of 2024, right? It was like a 4.2 or something like that. Shook the whole house. Now, I had been, we, we felt those a couple, over the last couple of years, we felt them. But this one was different. This one, the, I don't know if it was the boom and then the shaking, but man, it shook me. It's 9.47, I'm like well into my bedtime routine. I looked at my wife, I was like, what was that? And then within 15 seconds, one, two, three, four, five, all five of them come into our room. And they're like, what was that? Dad, what was it? What's going on? And I was like, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> we pull out our phone. We're, you know, we get on social. Who's, who's, did anyone else experience this? We're on our neighborhood Facebook page. What's going on? Did someone's house blow up? And of course, everybody's like, David, did you feel that? Where, you know, and everybody's giving their accounts of, and the question is, what is going on? The question my kids were asking is the question everyone was asking, what is going on? There was a couple before, and then the next morning at like 5.30, there was another one that woke me up out of bed. What is going on? And I think that is a perfect question to kick off this series. Because I think what's going on in our world is a lot of chaos, a lot of an upheaval and unsettledness, because that's what an earthquake is, right? What we thought was a firm foundation is now shaking everything we know. And the, and the question that comes to our mind is, what is going on? And so whether you look at the political landscape or the geopolitical landscape, whether you look at what's going on in our city, in our country, what's going on in our schools, what's going on in our workplace, in our families, I don't know about you, but it feels like a cultural earthquake is going off every single day. What we thought, what we once thought was solid ground is now unsettled and in upheaval. And so the question then comes to my mind is like, what do we do with this fear that came running into my bedroom at 9.47 at night saying, Dad, what's going on? Because that's what brought them. It was fear. They didn't know what, 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 what they knew and what they thought was normal was no longer normal. Their literal house was shaking. Their beds 
were banging the walls. Pictures were falling off their bedroom walls. And so I don't know about you, but when I look at the world that we're living in today as we go into 2024, I mean, let's just be honest, this is an election year, it's gonna get crazy. I think it's gonna get a little bit more unsettled, don't you? I think the divisions that we see are gonna become bigger divisions. I think the visceral anger that we see around every single corner is going to get more because people are afraid and they want control. That's how the world deals with fear. They try and grasp for control. And so as Christians, as believers, what do we do with this fear? Because here's the, the reality is fear is a fact of life. Like we cannot control fear. It will come upon us. So here's my, my first thought is that, that fear is not actually the problem. That's normal. The problem arises in how we respond to the fear. If we scoot over and give fear the steering wheel and say, you drive my life. And whether we know it or not, can we be honest? That's what happens. Fear of being alone. Fear of being insignificant. Fear of not being seen. There's all kinds of fears that wanna take the wheel and drive our life. And we respond to those fears almost immediately. There's a pastor down in Texas, his name is Matt Chandler. He says this, it's a great quote. He says, if there is no fear, there cannot be courage. You must feel fear to be courageous. You must feel fear, so fear is not the problem. It is, how do we be courageous? How do we live with the peace of Christ? How do we live victorious like Christ says that he is? What does Christian courage look like? And how do we get it? Because courage, let's be honest, is something that's way easier to talk about than to live out. Although we experience it probably daily in one way, shape, or form, whether it's getting a speeding ticket on the way to work, or making the wrong choice, or saying the wrong thing, or texting the wrong emoji that might get, you know, misinterpreted. Like we just, from small fears to big fears, it's driving our life. And so tonight we're gonna talk about finding courage in the chaos. Finding courage in the chaos. And the cool thing about God's word being the most relevant book that has ever been written is that Jesus talks about it all the time, this thing we call fear. And one of the things he talks about all the time is do not be afraid. And specifically, if you have your Bibles, turn to John 16, 33. This is gonna be kind of, this is like our, our umbrella verse for this entire series. We'll probably bring it in at least once every week. All right, so here's where we're at in the story of John, the gospel of John, is we're, we're at the, the Last Supper, and Jesus is describing what's going to take place to his disciples. And uh, spoiler alert, if you have not read John 16, it is, it is not uh, hopeful news for the disciples. They're getting a lot of news that they were not expecting to get at dinner that night. But this is how Jesus ends the chapter, chapter 16, verse 33. Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome 
the world. That's my king. Take heart, for I have overcome the world. Now, what is happening? Let me tell you a little bit of what's happening. Jesus, like I said, is preparing his disciples to no longer be with him. All right, for, for, for maybe a, that feeling that we can, we can all maybe remember is that feeling when your parents prepared to send you off to college and you were no longer gonna be under their roof. Jesus is like, I am leaving. My Holy Spirit is going to come, but here's what's gonna happen. You are gonna get kicked out of your church family. You, some of you are going to die because of your faith in me. You will be weeping and mourning while the world rejoices. You will be scattered to your own homes. You'll no longer be a group together and you will abandon me. I tell you these things so that in me you may have peace. What? <laughs> Jesus, what are you talking about? That doesn't sound peaceful. That sounds like chaos. And Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart for I have overcome the world. You see, Jesus is talking about more than the disciples understand. He sees a bigger picture than what they see right in front of them. They just heard, I'm going to get kicked out of my faith community. I'm going to die for my faith. I'm going to be left alone. You're leaving us. We're gonna leave each other, but take heart. We're gonna have trouble, take heart. So I wanna dive into this idea that Jesus offers the disciples. Because in John 16, their world just got turned upside down. That's chaos. For three years, they'd been with Jesus, and he's like, I'm about to leave. I'm going to where you cannot go. What? But he says, in this world, you'll have trouble. Okay, great, thank you, good news. Man, Jesus, you are giving us great, great halftime speech here. But then he says, I have overcome this world, so take courage. It means strengthen your heart. Not because you can, but because I have. Because Jesus was there at the beginning, and he knows what the end looks like, and he says, take heart. I have overcome. I will win this. And so this is what I want to look at tonight. My first point is courage is found first in knowing God. Courage is found in knowing God. We need to know the immensity and the power and the bigness of God. Because if we do not, then what is going to be immense and big is fear. It will be our fear that overwhelms us. It'll be the chaos that encompasses all that we are. And we will freak out. And we will feel anxious and we'll start to manipulate and control and we'll start to do, try and do it all of ourselves. We'll try to be big and immense and to be sovereign. If we do not know the immensity and the power and the bigness of God, we have to know God. In Romans chapter 11, Paul is writing to the church in Rome and this is not like um, a church here in America. They are under severe persecution. Christians were being robbed and beaten and murdered. Christians were being taken to the Colosseum that maybe some of you have seen in pictures or visited. And they were being killed for sport because they were Christians. This is who Paul is writing to. Not the comfort Christian sitting in soft seats with the heat on, 
with lights all around. They are being persecuted. And this is what Paul tells them. He says, you need to know the God that we serve and that we worship. And in Romans eleven thirty six, this is what he says. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Paul is saying, you need to remember and know the magnitude of the glory of God. His, he's rich in wisdom and he is rich in knowledge. His judgments are unfathomable. We, we cannot judge them. We have no concept of how big he is. Who gives the Lord counsel? No one. Who expects to be repaid by God, no one. It's like when my kids buy me a Christmas present with my money. They're not giving me anything. They're buying it with my money, same with God. There's nothing, there's no breath that we take that we are paying him back. We are just using the gifts that he has already graciously given us. You know, when I was a kid, I did not have much fear. Um, not because I was big, not because I was the most talented or the smartest or the tallest or anything. I, I was just an average kid. But I had a pretty healthy um, confidence about me. And it had actually nothing to do with me. It was because I was three feet tall and my dad was six foot three, 250 pounds. I got my mom's side of the jeans. But I remember very vividly in elementary school and middle school, other kids being like, Dad, Andy, your dad is huge. I'm like, that's right, he is. <laughs> and because I knew him, I was not fearful of anything. Because either he was standing right behind me or I knew he would be there soon. And so I lived a pretty fearless life as a kid. Because the simple fact that I knew who my dad was. And I knew that he was accessible to me. And I knew that he was with me. To know God means to know his plan. And to know his plan means to know his story. And the story of God is that God wins. We talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ. We talk about the good news. But the good news is bigger than the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Because before Jesus died, he was preaching the good news. How can that be? If the good news is the cross, then how does he, what is he talking about? Here's the story of God. That God created humanity, and humanity rebelled against him. And God said, no, not on my watch. I'm going to come and redeem my people. And so he sent his one and only son not just to die and forgive and be resurrected, but to usher in a new kingdom that would take over all of humanity and destroy evil. The good news of the gospel is that there is a new king in town and his name is Jesus. 
And I don't know about you, but I don't know why we wouldn't want to know the God of redemption of all of humanity, who said, I will love you and I will forgive you so much that I will send my one and only son to redeem you. I wanna know that God. I grew up believing that God was micromanaging my life and he was just looking to catch me in my sin. That is not the God of the Bible. He already knows the sin that has caught you. Jesus come to set you free, not to catch you. I wanna know that God. So why would we not want to know this God? The apostle Peter in 2 Peter 3.18 encourages the same thing. He says, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. His encouragement is grow in the knowledge. You need to know the immensity and glory and majesty of God. When we know him, then fear starts to fade away in his shadow. So my question then is, do you know him? Or do you just simply know of him? Social media has screwed this up for us. We think we know people when we just actually know about them. We know what they ate for lunch, and we know whether they went for vacation. We know what they did over the weekend. We know who their favorite quotes are. We know who their favorite team is. But I don't know if we know them. And I would hate to think that just because we come into a building like this on a cold Tuesday night, that we could assume that you know Jesus. I don't want to ever assume anything like that. That knowledge actually means we know him. Knowing someone is different than just knowing about them. It means we talk to them. We have a relationship with them. We've spent time together. We prioritize the relationship. We actually know each other and want to know each other. So do you know him? Is your faith in Christ an actual faith or is it an aspirational thing? Because I don't know about you, but it took me a long time to realize I know a lot about him, but I don't really know him. And it wasn't until I started to really learn the immensity of his story and the gospel is from the beginning to the end of the Bible that I was like, oh, I I need to know this guy. I need to know Jesus. He didn't just come to save me. He came to redeem me so that I would be with him and he would be, be my God. So what do we do about this knowing thing? I wanna challenge you with this. As you go into this year, I wanna challenge you to get ridiculously curious about God this year. I want you to get ridiculously curious. How many of you guys read Curious George as a kid? Oh man, I love those books. Dude always got in trouble. And he always seemed to have a great time doing it. When was the last time you allowed yourself to be curious about God? to say, what does that mean? What kind of God would give me a sunset like that? What kind of God would give me taste buds so that all food tastes different? Some of it's sweet and some of it's bitter. What kind of God would do that? What is God doing in my life now? What does he wanna do through this season? And get curious about who God is not just to know about him, but to know him. One of my favorite passages in all the scriptures, this is just a challenge, we're not gonna read it, it's way too long, but maybe tonight, open your Bibles to the book of Job. 
verses 38 through 41. And God gives Job a biography of who he is and the immensity and the glory and the power that he holds. Because Job's getting a little bit full of himself. And God says, you need to sit down. I'm about to speak to you like a man. He says, where were you? I suppose you're the one that told the son to come up today. And you start reading it chapter after chapter, line after line, and all of a sudden, your knowledge of the majesty and the glory of God is going to blow your mind. And then all of a sudden, the things that we think God doesn't care about, like, oh, oh, he knows and he cares. Like, I think it's the chapter uh, 39, verse one. It, it's like, it makes me laugh every time I see it. I, it says, I suppose you were there when the mountain goat gave birth. God was. He sees you. He knows you. And that is a God that I want to know. Let's continue back to John 16, 33. Jesus tells his disciples, I have told you these things so that in me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. My second point tonight is that courage is found in looking at God. First, it's knowing God, and then that courage and peace come from looking at God. If you have your Bibles open to John 16, I want you to underline the words, in me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Not in your circumstance, not in your gifts, not in your bank account, not in your privilege. It is in me that you find peace in the midst of the trouble. So underline in me. And so we need to be looking at God. Here's another way that, that maybe this will stick is don't settle for mere glances at God, but settle in and gaze at God. We live in a world that just glances. Reels, let's just glance, boom, 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 boom. Swipe, swipe, swipe. We're just glancing. And that bleeds into our relationship with God. We give God a glance and then we move on. Instead of settling for a mere glance of the goodness and majesty of God, let's settle in and let's slow down and gaze upon the beauty and the majesty of God. Because Jesus says, in me, you may have peace. Where do we typically look when fear knocks on our door? What do we run to? What do we escape to? It's usually the temporary things, things that we think we can control, the things that the world has promised will give us courage and peace. That's why we call alcohol liquid courage. When you're scared, when you're nervous, here's some liquid courage, go talk to her. Our world has ways of trying to find courage, but that courage is short-lived and cheap, and it's not real courage. And so we find courage by turning our gaze to God and looking at him. In a very real sense, what I'm talking about is living out a lifestyle of repentance, is turning from my fear and turning to God. That in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the, of the craziness of life, when I feel all those feelings coming up and the anxiety is about to destroy me, I repent. Not because it's wrong, it's normal 
human condition to fear, but we take that fear and we look at, upon Christ who has overcome the world, who's writing a bigger story than what we are experiencing. That's why when the earthquake hit, our kids came to our room because they needed to see that mom and dad were good so that they could be good because they know that mom and dad know more than them. We are stronger than them and we can explain more of this is what's going on. This is what, what an earthquake is. It's gonna be okay. It'll be over soon. And so they turned their eyes on mom and dad as we should turn our eyes to the father. And so we need to tune our ears and focus our gaze on God in the midst of the chaos. And the crazy thing, this is the mystical part of our faith. When we do that, you will find a peace and a courage that is not of this world. And you're like, where did that come from? This is, what, this is the promise that the apostle Paul is talking about in Philippians 4, 5 through 7. Listen to these words from Paul. He says, the Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, easy for him to say, but in everything, through prayer and petition, turning to God with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, we don't get it. His peace will guard your heart and your mind in your talents, in your money, in your job title. No, no, no. The peace that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ because in Christ is where peace is. You see, when we turn to God, something incredible happens that doesn't happen otherwise. God's peace will guard your heart and God's peace will guard your mind. But if we don't know God and we don't turn to God, there is no godly peace. You see, we become accustomed to glancing. That's why we need to, to, to look at God. We, we, have, we live in a culture of just glancing, looking and then moving on, looking and then moving on. And what we end up doing is we, 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 we start to gaze inward. We start looking at ourself for the peace. We start looking for our, to ourself for the solutions or we look outward for those things. And what we need to do is we need to gaze upward and get our mind and our heart focused on Christ, the story that he is writing in your life, the truth of God's word that he is with you wherever you go, and the, the truth that, that in, uh, he works all things out for the good of those who are called according to his purpose so that you might be conformed to the image of Christ. When we remember that, we can suffer well. That God is not going to waste this. He is with me in the suffering. Why would he not be? He is the, 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 the suffering savior. If he suffered, why are we afraid of it? Why are, we, why are we surprised? When the world that we live in becomes more and more anti-God, anti-God's people, anti-God's word, and anti-God's ways. And we think, oh, we, we, gotta, fit, we gotta fit in so that no one you know, cancels me or, or says something bad about me. Like, no, no, no. We should expect this, and God is with you in it. And he will sustain you and give you the peace that guards your hearts and mind in Christ. I always think about, when I think about this idea of gazing instead of glancing at Jesus, I think of, <laughs> Peter's such a good dude. 
Love, love the boy. He, so in Matthew 14, there's this amazing, famous story. They're out in the middle of the lake. There's a storm. I don't even know why these guys kept sailing, but it seems, it seems every time they're out there, it's, cra- it's crazy time. It says in Matthew 14, 25, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them. They were already in the middle of the lake. Jesus was not with them. So Jesus went out to them walking on water. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, what? Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. And then Peter says, Lord, if it is you, tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. Verse 30, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, why did you doubt? What has happened here? Jesus is doing something that's blowing their mind. They were not expecting it, it scared them. When was the last time we expected God to do something that would scare us? He's ready and willing to do it. But he says, do not be afraid, it is I. Take heart, it is I. And Peter, I love Peter. I always think, this is just my editorial comments here, I always think in this story, I wonder if Peter's just sick and tired of watching everybody else get to experience the miracles of Jesus. And he's like, I want in on this. I want to experience a miracle. And so he says, Jesus, if that's you, call me out there. And Jesus is like, let's go, come on. And Peter's like, okay. And he steps out of the boat. But when does he start to sink? When his gaze turns from the Lord and to the waves and the wind, his circumstances, his fears, death. And he says, Jesus, save me. And so he turns back and Jesus grabs him, saves him, pulls him out. So what do we do about this? We remain and return. We turn our gaze to God. Stop glancing and gaze at him. See who he is. We've been reading John 16, and in John 15, over and over and over, you know what Jesus tells his disciples? Remain in me, and I will remain in you. In 17 verses, you see the word remain 11 times. Remain, 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 remain. Stay, abide, remain in me. Look at me. Look at me. And you will find peace that surpasses all understanding that will cover your hearts and your minds in Christ. You see, when we get a handle, or even begin to get a handle on the greatness of God and the goodness of our Savior, we begin to get a great, God-sized, God-given courage. And when we do not, we don't get it. And we will feel the fear, and we will feel the anxiety, and we will feel the worry, and we will start to manipulate and try to control and grasp when we get a handle on the greatness of God, we begin to get a great, God-sized, 
God-given courage. That's how you get courage. You look at God. My last point tonight is that courage is found in trusting God. It's moving from knowing him to then understanding him because we are looking at him intently and we take the knowledge and the understanding and we move it to trusting. We move it to action. Proverbs 3, verse five and six, one of the first verses I ever memorized in my life. I've seen this verse to be true time after time after time. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all of your ways. Acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, not just half of it, not just a quarter of it, all of it. Don't lean on your understanding. Guys, can we be honest? We love to lean on our understanding. We love to be right. We love to be proven right. One of the fav- our favorite things to think, at least, maybe say out loud, is like, I told you, right? We love it. We want to be able to lean on our own understanding, but we need to move from simply acquiring knowledge about God to an active trust in God. Peter stepped out of the boat. He didn't say, hey, Jesus, call me out there. And Jesus says, hey, yeah, come on. He's like, okay, I believe you. You called my bluff, I got you. (laughs) No, what did he do? I'm sure with much fear and trepidation, he stepped out in courage. He stepped out of the boat and he put his trust in Jesus. And as should we, we need to move from an aspirational faith to an actual trusting active faith. Instead of just talking a good game and being around it and talking about it and singing it, is actually make steps of faith that are a little scary to say, God, I need you and I need to know your peace as we do this. And this is a difficult process because we are not hardwired to uh, trust God. We, We are hardwired to trust ourselves. We want to lean on our own understanding. We want to lean on what we can control. We want to be able to trust our talents, our money, our reputation, our family name. But when we put our trust in those things, we actually have a faith that's self-reliant. And we place ourselves, I think unknowingly most of the time, in the seat of God. That my ways must be his ways. And my opinions must be his opinions. Instead of, no, no, his ways must be my ways. And his opinions must be my opinions. Maybe that's your trust. That's a huge step of trust. Saying, God, I need you to show me what you think about this. And then you adjust to him. That's a step of faith. To align your heart and your beliefs to him. Because the truth is, we can live an aspirational faith that is self-serving and self-protective for a long, long, long time. It's just an aspirational faith. It's not an actual faith where we are stepping out of the boat on a regular basis, where we are completely dependent on God showing up and doing what he said he will do. And the truth is the enemy wants us to stay there. He wants us to stay in the boat 
He wants you to be self-reliant and believe that you can do it on your own without God because in doing so, you are not with God. And he's got you. The very thing that Christ came to set you free from was the enslavement to, to sin and the enslavement to evil. It doesn't feel evil when I do my own thing and go my own way. It's a great trick of his is to get us to believe that, well, if I think it and I go to church, then that's most people what God thinks. Again, I go back to the promise. And this is what we do about trusting. We trust God and then we take a step. We trust God and then we take a step. We take the knowledge, combine it with the understanding because we've been gazing at him, we've been watching him, we've been marinating in God's word so that it becomes a part of us and then eventually we say, all right, I'm stepping out of the boat. And I can't sit here and tell you, each individual person in here, what your next step is. I, I'm not omniscient. But the Holy Spirit that lives in me and that lives in you, if you are a believer, he will tell you. So I wanna encourage you and challenge you to start asking the Holy Spirit, where do I need to trust you? What part of my life do I need to trust you with? What part of my life am I holding on to and trying to control and manipulate because I don't trust you? Philippians 4, 5 through 7, the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. What a gift. Can you imagine life with no anxiety? Like, can we be honest? We don't even know what that looks like. Like, that, that, that's an idea that we're like, oh, that's a pipe dream. Do not be anxious about everything, anything, in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Present your request before the Lord, and then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, which Andy's translation is, which will blow your mind will guard your heart and your mind in Christ. You will have a peace in the midst of the chaos and you will have a courage that you did not muster up on your own when you gaze at God and you know him, his, his bigness, is that a word? I don't even know that's a bigness, all teachers, I'm sorry. The bigness and the majesty of God. And then we step out of the boat and we're like, whoa, you showed up. And then the next time, it becomes a little easier to trust him. And the next time, it becomes a little easier to trust him because now you have a resume of trusting God and he shows up. So courage is found in knowing God, looking at God, and trusting God. When life feels like an earthquake, the earthquake isn't so fearful when we know the God who created the earthquake. When we understand that God is over all things, in all things, and is working through all things, the earthquakes in life seem like a little rumble. And when we trust God, we actually get to see in real life, in your life, God's faithfulness. And it's like, this may be a ridiculous example. I just thought about this, so I didn't even practice this, but for Christmas, my favorite present, I got a weighted blanket. It's fantastic. If you've never had one, you need to buy one. But to me, that's what the peace of God is. It's this wonderful weight of peace that takes the anxiety and the worry and the fear and says, I got this. So what do we do with this? I've already told you, I'm just gonna repeat it. 
determined to be ridiculously curious about God this year. Get curious. Ask questions, search his scriptures, find out who is this God who is writing a story for all of eternity that he would redeem people, including us, that we might be with him, that he have offered us forgiveness in the face of our rebellion, that he has freed us from the enslavement to this world, and he invites you in. Who is this God? Get ridiculously curious in 2024. Number two. Remain and return. Remain in him. Don't glance at God, gaze at him. Remain, slow down, create the time to spend with him. And then when we find ourselves rebelling or running, then we return. We just, we return back to the God that says, you are welcome, come on. Number three, trust God and take a step. Trust God and take a step of faith that you put your trust that you know in God's goodness to work. And then lastly, number four, don't go alone. Bring other people along with you. Because this is hard, guys. We're, just, we're not hardwired to trust God, to look at God, to spend time with him, and to actually take steps out of our comfort zone to trust him. What really helps is when we do it together. Get a friend, find a small group, and just say, hey, what, it, what would it look like for us to do this together? To take heart, to have courage that brings peace to our lives. You see, when I look around the world today, it feels like that earthquake. The cultural landscape that's shifting daily the political situation that we constantly are bombarded with, the technological advances and the dangers that come with them, our economic outlook, the division we see in our society around every conceivable corner, the global violence that seems to be escalating every day, and the growing hostility towards God and his word, his people and his ways. When I look at that stuff, I can begin to feel afraid not just for myself, but for my kids. God, what kind of world are they gonna grow up in? I can begin to feel afraid and chaotic and unsettled, but as Christians, we cannot sit in this fear. Otherwise, this fear, this chaos will paralyze us. It will cripple us, and it will steal from us the joy that Christ has given us and the mission that he has commissioned us to live. And we will become sideline Christians. And that's where the joy of Christ goes and fades away. It's on the sideline. But I wanna tell you tonight as we get into this series, it is okay to feel fear because we cannot experience courage without feeling fear. Fear is normal, it's part of being human but we must go on beyond fear. Take heart, take courage, Jesus says, for I have overcome the world. Let's pray. God, thank you, oh, thank you. Thank you that you know us so very well. 
that you tell us things like this, that you don't pretend that there's no trouble. You say, no, there will be trouble. But take heart, take courage, be encouraged. I have overcome the world. God, thank you for seeing us and knowing us. Thank you for, for understanding our fragility and our weakness. And thank you for being huge and big and mighty. And that you offer us a wonderful gift of your peace. When we remain in you, and we bring our requests before you, that you promise that your peace will guard our hearts and our minds. We praise things in your name, amen. If you're new to the gathering, we just take about 120 seconds and we're just gonna leave these so what's on the screen. And this is just a time for you to process, to pray, to talk to the person next to you that you came with and said, hey, how can we do this together? We just wanna give you a few minutes and then we'll continue to worship together.